can't get health insurance, fire insurance, life insurance. Why haven't you come out for Senate Bill 2720? Well, because you, you haven't really contributed any money to my campaign, have you? A suicidal senator suddenly stops talking like a politician and starts rapping the truth. Join us as we chat about right-wing politics in Austria, a vintage Biden gaffe, and if being a dad affects your ability to rap. Then we find out if 1998's Bullworth stands the test of time. James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Allen says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Allen have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. I'm James, not a rapping senator, but your podcast host <laughs> for the Test of Time podcast. And joining me, as always, is Alan Noah. How you doing, Al? I am doing very well, and I will correct you. You are not a rapping senator yet. I believe that that is still something that could be in your future. Which one would come first, though? Would I become a senator or would I become a rapper? Oh, no, it happens at the exact same time. You just become a rapping senator. Was it going to be like old school rap with like, you know, emphasizing the last beat, like the Beastie Boys? If that's a style of hip hop that you're most comfortable with, sure. A pledge allegiance to the United States. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. All right, cool. So I guess I'll (laughs) I'll do that when uh, (laughs) when I become a rapper. Sure, when you become a rapping senator. A rapping senator, right, right, exactly. Well, it's also when I become a rapper. True. It depends which one you want to emphasize first. It's it's like there's a couple doctors that are senators. Right. Uh, and I wonder what their title, what they go by first. I think they go by senator. I'm almost positive they go by senator. Um, Maybe. I mean, when they talk about Warnock, I think they call him Senator Reverend Raphael Warnock. So he has two titles in his name. The more titles you have, the better. And if you run for Senate, I will very likely vote for you. You know, that that's about as unlikely as Warren Beatty's character becoming a, a rapper in this film, but we'll get there. Sure. Um, you know, something that on its surface seems the opposite, I guess, completely, you know, it's a very safe bet, not, not unexpected. Um, Warner Brothers Discovery, they're going to be doing something new with the Harry Potter uh, franchise. And it seems like they're abandoning the whole uh, Fantastic Beast spinoff movies. Uh, they maybe. Haven't been that new. And maybe, maybe they'll wrap them up at some point. But the big announcement is that they're basically redoing the seven books. And they're going to make them into a streaming series. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be, uh, I guess, on HBO Max, or now just got, it will be called Max. Right. And it will be one uh, season, will be one year. One season uh, per book. Right, right. But, but each book was one year of Hogwarts. Uh, except for the seventh book, which is not really about Hogwarts, except for the end. But yes, I know what you mean. And I think that's a kind of an easy call like you own harry potter make more harry potter and you know like you were kind of saying the fantastic beast movies they've had diminishing returns so maybe do something different they want to get more eyes on the streaming service it seems a little soon to me to be rebooting 
Harry Potter when the last movie came out, what, 2014? I don't really remember, but it's not that long ago since people were watching those movies. It's not like it's been a whole generation of kids who watched Daniel Radcliffe and Emma Watson and and, uh, Rupert Grint. It's only been like a decade or so. Well, uh, a decade is a generation when you're talking about uh, things that kids are into. I think that Warner Brothers, uh, they really need to invest in their IP because it's not like they're the Bugs Bunny IP that, yeah, every like 10, 15 years, they decide to like try it again. If it works, it, it great. Every 15 years or so, Disney makes a big Muppets push and, you know, then they quiet for a little bit. But uh, the, the thing is... Uh, Warner Brothers put all of their chips into this Harry Potter experience at, uh, th- that's the thing about their uh, Orlando resort. So, you know, they really want to keep people more into it. And the people that were into Harry Potter, um, my little sister, uh, Amanda, she's a friend of the show, she did Billy Madison, that episode. She was the same age as the characters as the books were released. Those people, they're in their 30s now. That You know, that's a solid uh, millennials. And, um, you know, it's not necessarily something that children are following right now. So I think Warner Brothers is trying to get kids back into it. Just an important note. The Harry Potter stuff is at Universal Studios. So Universal has licensed the property from Warner Brothers. And that's like kind of a thing that Universal does. Like they license other properties that they don't own, which Disney actually did do with Avatar. Now they bought Fox, so they own Avatar. But most of the stuff at the Disney parks is theirs. They own it. Actually, they had Star Wars before they bought Lucasfilm. So it's not a perfect uh, analogy, but... Universal Studios, which is a competitor to Warner Brothers, will make money if more people go to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter in Orlando. So will Warner Brothers. Like, they both make money off of it. And we were just recently there. I was there with Courtney and the kids. Eli was really into Harry Potter the last time we went. He's less into Harry Potter now. My daughter's super into Harry Potter now. Honestly, kind of almost doesn't matter. It's just really cool and it's really fun and the rides are really good. I mean, you're right. That, that That's part of the business decision, right? Like going to the theme parks is part of how they make their money. But I do think it's important to point out that it's not just like Disney eyeing an IP that they're like, okay, this is movies and a TV show and something at our parks where they get 100% of it. Warner Brothers is only going to get a certain percentage of whatever they get from the theme park, and they have to give the other percentage to their competitor. That's interesting, uh, and I never realized that because uh, Warner Brothers, they famously, they license their Looney Tunes stuff over to the Six Flags uh, parks. Exactly. Yeah, I guess it's the same way that Nintendo, they don't own uh, theme parks, but they've licensed the, the Mario World to what is it, Orlando or, or Hollywood uh, Universal? Uni- yeah, yeah, Universal. Yeah, same thing. In the end, I think that this just really keeps the stuff in their minds because, you know, Warner Brothers doesn't have huge franchises that they can bank on. The Matrix is done. Uh, LeBron Space Jam didn't really reinvigorate the the franchise. And, you know, I think uh, Harry Potter is the billion dollar franchise that could. 
it is pretty timeless because there's no technology in it. It's kind of, you know, old school wizard cauldrons of witches brew, not something like uh, the Hunger Games, which is it takes place in the future, but I would say an early 21st century version of the future. It's not a timeless thing you can necessarily do again and again, but uh, Harry Potter, I think they're going to be able to, if they do it correctly, and the fan base doesn't get so mad at the you know, the outside controversies, um, I think that they could probably milk Harry Potter again and again. Oh, I definitely think they can. One thing that kind of leapt out to me was that the way they framed it was each season of the show will be based on one book. The movies are pretty faithful adaptations of the books. Yes, there are changes. Of course there are. Some of those books are, you know, five, six, seven hundred pages, and they turn it into a two-and-a-half-hour movie. Even uh, book seven, which was two two-and-a-half-hour movies, there's still going to be stuff that they're going to have to leave out, of course, but they're pretty faithful. You know, it's not like there's entire characters and huge things that people loved in the books that just never made it to the screen. Pretty much all of the important things from the books were in the movies. Um, I agree with the very last thing you said. Pretty much all the important things were in the movies, but there was a lot of stuff uh, left on the cutting floor for good reasons. But there's a lot of stuff you could do. You could have an entire episode of just Hagrid and some beasts. You know, that's the nice thing about a TV series. Every episode doesn't have to, uh, you know, contribute to the larger mythos. I don't think I'm going to be the target audience for it, but I think if done well, it really has a lot of potential because it's a great source material. In the end, if it's an interesting show, I think it'll be successful. I agree. Honestly, I think the weirder thing that uh, Warner Brothers Discovery has done is the rebrand where now HBO Max is just going to be Max. When I hear HBO, I think of The Sopranos, The Wire, Curb Your Enthusiasm, amazing shows. People love HBO. You can imagine like that theme music from the 80s, you know, like those big, huge letters in space. To like abandon that brand name is so weird to me from a purely marketing perspective. Like, I just don't understand that. I 100% agree with you. It's the kind of thing like I wouldn't pay to read the New York Post, the New York Daily News or something, but I would pay for a New York Times subscription. Right. Because I'd be like, yes, that is worthy of $9.95 a month, whatever it is. Sure. Like at max, I mean, we are, you know, 40 year old men and we kind of giggle when we hear the word max because to us, max was what, Al? Cinemax or Skinemax. Right. It's the softcore porn channel. Right. It's weird. Yes, Al, you're completely right. HBO is the, uh, it's the gravitas. Uh, I don't know, maybe uh, internationally it's not as known. Uh, that could be my only guess that they're trying to go for an international thing. Maybe. I don't know. Look, sometimes companies rebrand and people are like, this is stupid. It will never work. And then it works fine. And if they're delivering a quality product, who gives a shit about the name of the streaming service? That's the least important thing. I just was confused when I saw that announcement of like, why lose the HBO? But let's talk about Bullworth. This is a movie that I saw while I was looking up movies uh, that were turning 25. This movie came out in 1998. I had never seen it, but I know of it. I knew Ghetto Superstar. I mean, that song was all over radio 25 years ago. So I wanted to talk about it. You said you had seen it once, right? 
I saw it once, like when the movie came out, it got a lot of acclaim. And when this comes out in 1998, we're in college, like we're not watching this. You know, this is not for college kids. But uh, I think I did catch it on HBO one day or something. Okay. Uh, You know, Max, if you will. Right, Uh, right. I saw it once and I remembered almost nothing about it. Just that... uh, a center kind of goes crazy and uh, uh, starts like hanging out in like non-senator locations. That's all I remembered about it. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, for anyone who hasn't seen the movie, it's about Democratic Senator Bullworth, who has grown disillusioned with politics in general and his own political trajectory specifically. Bullworth takes out a large life insurance policy and hires a hitman to kill him. Facing death, Bullworth starts talking honestly with his constituents for the first time. The feeling is so cathartic and refreshing that he decides he wants to live and stay in politics. Bullworth tries to call off his own assassination, but will he be able to in time? So doing some reading, I saw that this movie was critically uh, successful. How did it do at the box office? You know, it, it didn't do that well at the box office. And Warren Beatty, he made his director debut in 1978 with the film Heaven Can Wait. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, that film or the no. Chris Rock uh, uh, remake. No, I've seen um, neither. Yeah, I saw the Chris Rock remake. And that was a hit. And then he made a really uh, well-received film called Reds. You ever heard of that film? I've heard of it. Also have not seen it. Yeah, and this is the second uh, Warren Beatty directed film that we've seen. Uh, Do you remember what the first one was? Yes, Dick Tracy. Right. So Dick Tracy was a big deal. And this was a film. He had $30 million budget for it. And, you know, it didn't really go uh, the way he wanted to. Pretty much opened wide on uh, May 22nd, 1998. It opened at number four with 10 million on its way to only 26 million. Mm. You know, number one that weekend, it had a uh, huge opening, uh, $55 million. But it was still one of the huge bombs of that year. Of 1998. Yes. Godzilla? Um, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this film didn't really make that much money either. And uh, Warren Beatty didn't really direct that many more films after this. Yeah, apparently he did one other movie in 2016, which I like didn't know was a thing. He played Howard Hughes in a movie, Rules Don't Apply. I didn't hear about that at all. I had no idea that that was a thing. But Warren Beatty really hasn't done all that much this century. You know, I'm going to say one thing about him. He unfairly was uh, wrongly credited with uh, messing up the, um, uh, remember the Oscars a couple of years ago when they called out La La Land instead of, uh, what was Moonlight. it, Moonlight. And Warren Beatty came out with Faye Dunaway and they announced uh, La La Land. And Warren Beatty was the one holding the envelope. And, you know, people were saying like, oh, you know, old man, he was just saying the wrong thing. And first of all, it was Faye Dunaway that said La La Land. But the envelope, it said um, Emma Stone, La La Land. They just gave the wrong envelope to this guy. So, I mean, I've seen it that people are trying to interpret that it was Warren Beatty and, oh, look at that old guy. Like, it was completely Cooper that seemed to have messed that up. I remember hearing that it was Pricewaterhouse uh, Coopers. I didn't know that uh, people were blaming Warren Beatty. That's not cool if it wasn't his fault. Let's blame Warren Beatty for the things that he actually has done wrong, like a lot of the shit in Bullworth, for example. Before we get into that, the movie starts with text on screen that, first off, 
I noticed was on screen for a really, really long time. Did you notice that? Uh, yes, uh, they do establish uh, the setting of this uh, uh, of this movie, and I appreciate it that they, they gave us specifically when this takes place. It opens in mid-March 1996. Not even March, but mid-March. It's a very specific, like, week, and the whole movie takes place in one night, pretty much. Or, right. You know, one day, because it's in the daytime, too. Um, and... When you look back on mid-March 1996, when we think about this time... As one does. As one does, it was a relatively prosperous, peaceful time for America. You know, this is pre-9-11, so, you know, there's people that don't like America, I guess. But pretty much, you know, America is... uh, kind of a good guy in the world still kind of right in that world war ii stuff yeah vietnam wasn't our you know the best for our marketing but uh it was a very different world there are some things that are definitely very similar to democrats and republicans but they open up the text on screen that you refer to as bill clinton very famous guy people talk about him today and they don't even call him bob robert dole is how they they refer to this guy and you know when you talk about 2000 uh, election people can remember clearly that it was uh george bush versus al gore but when you think about 1996 it's one of those things where it's like it was clinton who did he go against oh yeah that nice guy bob dole like it was so different and you know we were not a uh, voting age then but when the election was done and Bill Clinton was elected, and see if you remember this the same way, Al, like the country went back to normal, like the next day. Like that's the state of the world. So I always want to like calibrate how different America is uh, from that time. Yes, you're 100% right. Not that long ago, I was at one of Eli's Little League games and one of the player's grandparents were there. And the grandpa said something, I forget exactly what his words were, but he kind of said something about like, those people in Washington, I wouldn't trust any politician. And he wasn't talking about those Democrats or those Republicans. He was just kind of saying about all politicians in general. And I thought that that was really kind of like quaint and almost sweet in a way that he wasn't singling out one party. I feel like that's kind of like an old fashioned approach, right? Like that's sort of the way that people used to look at politics, like eh, Democrat, Republican, I don't trust any of them. Or maybe you had a preference and you tended to vote blue or you tended to vote red, but it wasn't so tribal. Like we have become very, very tribal today. And The text on screen, it says the populace is unaroused, which I think is a very, very weird phrase. I I have notes on those particular words, but like you get it. People are just bored with politics and no one really gives a shit, which is very different from today. And when you start seeing who Bullworth is from his ads, he's talking about how he wants to end affirmative action and cut back on entitlement programs like welfare. And he's really into family values. He wants a a smaller government. He's a Democrat in name, but he basically sounds like a Republican. And people call him out on that in the movie. And, you know, I think that is fairly accurate at the time that there were Democrats like Bill Clinton, who, you know, people who are on the far right hated Bill Clinton and considered him to be super, super far left. He was pretty 
fucking centrist. By today's standards, a progressive person today in 2023 would look on some of Bill Clinton's policies and be like, oh my God, what was that guy, a Republican? There's always a boogeyman on the left and right, the George Soroses, the Koch brothers, and all these Dick Cheney was the evil Republican. The Republicans today literally kicked out Liz Cheney, who was like down the line voting every single thing the NRA could ever want pro-life and, you know, against Planned Parenthood. But but she voted against uh, Donald Trump. So you're right. It's just this is a very different uh, society today, uh, uh, different parties. Bill Clinton, and it's something he said he regretted, and the Supreme Court famously had to overturn it during Obama's time, but Bill Clinton signed something called the Defense of Marriage Act. Like, you know, 90s conservatism is very different. You know, even left and right wing in America is very different than left and right wing in Europe. The right wing uh, people in Austria, they can be a scary bunch. But I don't believe that they say that climate change is fake. You know, it's not all the same nuanced little issues here. Self-reliance versus community reliance, those things are similar. But, you know, American left and right politics, I was surprised were not discussed as much as I thought they would be. What I mean left and right, it was just kind of like, wow, he's saying these things no one would say. It wasn't like he's talking like a Republican or a Democrat. Or I just thought it was interesting. At one point, I think a reporter tells Bullworth that like his primary challenger has called him like an old liberal poured into like a conservative glass or something like that. I definitely messed up that quote, but that he is pandering to the center. And I think that this movie, maybe to its credit, because it comes from liberal Hollywood and Warren Beatty is definitely a very liberal guy, but he makes himself a... Democrat that is deeply, deeply flawed. And so you could imagine that maybe that would be appealing to conservatives. So it's not just going to turn off half of the population right away. But the movie is more focused on here's what Democrats need to do better, i.e. be more honest and really do more for the black community. And it kind of ignores the existence of Republicans in general. So I think that Republicans in the 90s could still be pissed at this movie. Do you think he was going for pissing off the opposition? You think that was part of like the strategy? Like, I think a movie like uh, we reviewed Bob Roberts and, uh, you know, you have these people that appear conservative sounding, but perhaps it's more of a satire. And that one was definitely mocking one side versus the other. I think that this film, you know, could make people upset. But I think, honestly, I think uh, uppity Democrats would be upset at their senator acting improper as well. Yes, that is all correct. I think this movie has a message and it is for Democrats to be more liberal. That is what I think it is. I don't think it's for Republicans or conservatives at all. I don't think it is even bothering to talk to them. Maybe Warren Beatty just didn't give a shit, and that's fine. But I think his motivation was to get Democrats to be 
more liberal. Like in the beginning of the movie, we see that Bullworth was in the past like a real progressive champion. There are like pictures of him on the wall with Martin Luther King when he's talking to Nina, Halle Berry's character. He's talking about uh, his relationship with Huey Newton. So he used to be this great progressive advocate and now he's kind of gotten complacent and now he's drifted towards the center and now he's been bought by these insurance companies and everything. And so I think the push is to get back to being more liberal, more progressive. Um, I'm, I'm curious about your take about that topic, the insurance companies thing, because Bill Clinton did talk about bringing medical coverage to everyone. And there are plenty of issues that are important on the left, but this movie really seems to focus on health insurance, insurance for all. Bullworth even says socialized medicine is the only solution. And like the real villain, the spoiler alert, ultimate assassin of Bullworth is someone from the insurance company. So as a doctor, I'm just curious what you thought about that. Well, first I'll say we don't know that he's assassinated at the end. It's left ambiguous. Sure. Um, you know, he's definitely shot by, by someone in the insurance company. Um, oh, insurance, uh, as a doctor, it's the worst thing about healthcare. Well, no, insurance is not number one. Uh, insurance and also lawyers and like malpractice suing us. There's okay. a reason why your trip to the ER is $5,000. Whereas in, in England, if you have a stomach ache, they'll say, all right, we think it's reflux. Like, you know, take these Tums of this Pepsi we're going to give you. You know, well, let's stay here for an hour. And then if you're still feeling bad in the morning, like come back, we, you know, we're going to do an ultrasound. We don't do that in America because you could possibly get sued if you don't do it. So we have to do all the tests. And then now it's a big fight with insurance. And when you tell me you have a stomach ache and there's all these signs, I'm going to say, okay, Mr. Jones, we're going to do a, wait, what insurance do you have? Because depending on the answer to this is going to change what I'm going to say. Right. Not, not what I want to do, but just what's going to be covered. Right. And, you know, if you say one, it's going to be ultrasound. If you say the other, it'll be an MRI CAT scan. And, uh, you know, one is going to be better than the other. Insurance companies take a large portion. The other big problem with our country, in my opinion, is also there's a lot of layers of administration that may not have to be there. Okay. You know, when you come down to actual healthcare, it's not that expensive, the healthcare itself. We, we could do it if there weren't all these things against us. Right. So that was a big thing in the 90s. I don't remember it because we were kids. But Hillary Clinton had some healthcare proposal that famously failed. Right. And I, that's all I remember about uh, that, that Hillary Clinton had some proposal, which was interesting at the time because she wasn't even a politician. She was just the first lady. Right. So that was all thing. Like, should she be introducing it? I think that might have been the controversy or probably knowing politics as I know more as an adult. If X does something, the other side is against it. Right. So, yeah, that's probably more what it was. But yes, insurance companies, um, they're right now a necessary evil until we can get, you know, some kind of uh, coverage for everyone. Like socialized medicine, which is what Bullworth is advocating for once he has, you know, seen the light and become honest with uh, everyone. Let's talk a little bit about Halle Berry and Don Cheadle and Bulworth's sort of discovery of black culture. I mean, this is a white savior movie. We've talked about others on the podcast. I'm sure more will come up along the way. But all white savior movies, I think, are sort of by definition 
kind of condescending. I thought this movie was like extra fucking condescending when Bullworth discovers that this hip hop rippity rap music it actually is pretty good. And hey, there's a black lady over there and wouldn't you know it? But she's pretty. It's really fucking painful, I thought. I was like, Jesus Christ. Then he starts fucking cosplaying as like a rapper, I guess. You know, like with the sunglasses and the hat backwards and the baggy clothes. I just thought it was really, really fucking painful more so now, but I also feel like this had to have been pretty awkward and offensive in 1998. Um, well, I think you have to take a step back for a moment and go to the way beginning of the film. He's kind of saying the typical stuff any other politician would say. And, you know, he's a generically handsome looking, like senator looking guy. Mm-hmm. But then off screen... This guy's having a, a panic attack. He's having an absolute nervous breakdown. Right. And there's a subplot of this film that I'm not a big fan of. Well, I guess it kind of drives the whole plot, is that he's had a nervous breakdown. He's completely disillusioned uh, with politics as a whole. He just suddenly uh, decides he wants to kill himself. And he has a daughter, so he wants to make sure, you know, he's not a monster. He wants to make sure his daughter's taken care of. So he takes out a $10 million life insurance policy. But of course, life insurance policies don't allow you to commit suicide because, you know, then people would do that before they commit suicide. So he puts out a contract for somebody to kill him. And that's something that follows him around the whole film. But he winds up starting to, since he's going to die anyway, he starts like just saying whatever the fuck he wants. And he finds he's actually like, it's a little bit cathartic to say it. And he meets this uh, young black woman and she's not just pretty. She's, she's, you know, a 1998 Halle Berry. I mean, just pretty is a little understatement. She's one of those beautiful women in the world. Sure. Uh, Yeah. And there's definitely this sense of, he is doing everything he shouldn't be doing. You know, shouldn't, I'm not saying morally, but I'm saying definitely as a senator. I love Oliver Platt's character and uh, uh, Joshua Molina. Mm-hmm. Who, Joshua Molina, I think he was in The West Wing. I think so. Um, he was definitely in Sports Night, which is another Aaron Sorkin film uh, series. Um, he's been in a lot of stuff and he always plays kind of these, uh, you know, accountanty kind of people. I love their characters. They're, they're, they're just kind of going crazy, like everything Bullworth is doing. Um, but getting back to what you were saying there, I didn't find it as cringy as you did because I think he's suicidal and he's, uh, he's completely mentally unwell. And I will say, he does not do, like, blackface. There are definitely things they could have done that had a guy going crazy and he's, you know, doing things you see, TikTok videos of people doing they shouldn't be doing. They did not go there. But you're right, some of the clothing was, uh, you know, he he almost wore a do-rag, but he didn't quite wear a do-rag. I get what you're saying, but, like, I just found it to be cringy because he is racist, right? I mean, I think Bullworth is maybe not full-on racist, but he doesn't really care about black people. I mean, he says that like he just shows up at the black church and like makes empty promises because he's supposed to, but he has 
absolutely no intention of doing anything for these people. He asks Nina, why are there no black leaders? And he's asking it rhetorically. He doesn't think she has an answer. And then she gives an answer about media monopolies and the lack of urban manufacturing. And his jaw hits the floor. He is shocked that she has an actual well-thought-out answer. Honestly, I was expecting him to say, oh, I didn't expect you to be so articulate, you know, which is the coded racist language for people to say about black people when they have something intelligent to say. Like, he's that fucking guy. He's the guy who is like, oh, I'm not racist because there's a black person who works in the store that I go to and I always smile and say hello to him. Therefore, I'm not racist. Like, you clearly seem to look down on black people and that can be part of his character. I just found it, like, really extra icky. So let me ask you this question. Do you think uh, a politician saying... A uh, black person. Uh, wow, I, you speak so articulately. You think that's racist? Yeah, that's pretty coded. That's like, oh, wow, I didn't know you could speak. That's what people said about Obama when they were trying to say something nice about him, but they really didn't want to say something nice about him because he was black. I ask you this specifically. When you say people were saying that, do you know who these people were? Who? It was Joe Biden. Oh, who said he was articulate? Yeah. It was, see, I was getting there because <laughs> this was during the 2008 primaries and it was, you know, maybe going to be Hillary, maybe it was going to be Obama. There was also that third guy, wasn't he in that too? Uh, the, the the lawyer, uh, Edwards, John Edwards. Oh, yeah, yeah, John Edwards. He was yeah. there too. And uh, Joe Biden, you know, obviously he wound up getting picked as the running mate, but uh, usually the running mate was one of the former uh contenders and joe biden actually said that out he was like it was one of those you know what do you think of that this young guy obama that came out of nowhere and joe biden was like well i gotta tell you he speaks so articulately and he's great and it was it was one of those famous joe biden gaffes and, right uh, you know looking back in history i don't think that joe biden meant that in a bad way i completely see why he shouldn't have said it that way sure but i will defend that 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 in and of itself doesn't necessarily mean bad i find it funny that you said it exactly that way that's funny i completely forgot that biden said that that is a dumbass thing that biden would say he says a lot of the wrong things sometimes, and he has kind of an iffy history with doing some things that weren't always great for black people. And he picked Kamala to be his running mate, and he was Obama's veep, and so that's great. But I just found Bullworth's like, discovery of black culture to be pretty cringy and awkward. Also, like he just becomes good at... I'm using air quotes when I use this word, rapping. Like, he's not really rapping. He's just kind of speaking in an awkward, clumsy rhyme. But what they're going for is that he is freestyling. And to be a good freestyle rapper is very, very fucking hard. But Bullworth just sort of, like, becomes great at it all of a sudden. And... There's the, um, he's credited as the Rasta man who is like telling Bullworth, oh, you need to have the spirit in you and you can't be a ghost. You have to be a spirit and you need the song. Song is how you move people with the spirit. And I was kind of wondering if that was almost literal, if they were sort of saying that the reason that Bullworth is now 
able to freestyle is because he was touched by some higher power. If there was some kind of divine intervention, I don't think that's really what the movie is saying, that it is a literal, like, touched by an angel kind of moment. But they don't really offer any other explanation for that part of his transformation. You know, I I really think uh, his transformation is uh, what I said earlier. I think he was suicidal. I think he goes into this uh, church and he just starts speaking honestly. When the black woman is asking him, why did you promise us you were going to come here? And then, you know, we didn't see any results. And note that he says all the parties. He says, yeah, me, Bush, Dole, Clinton, we all came out here because it looked good at the time. But then, you know... None of you guys, like, contribute to our campaigns or anything, so we forgot about it. This is true left and right. Yes. So I don't think that's racist. I don't think he's saying, and I don't think he thinks we didn't come out here because you're black people. I think he said, we didn't come out here because what does it do for our campaign? We see a doctor doing a check on him, and they're like, no, your blood pressure's okay, Senator. Like, this guy is just having a mental breakdown. Yes. Yes to all of that. None of that explains why he suddenly has the ability to freestyle rap. That is absolutely true. I don't think he's good. I think he's definitely doing like dad rap. A, play, B, C. But I will give you, it is very interesting that he is able to rhyme every single line. It is delivered very dad rap. But but I I do agree with you that he is successfully freestyling this dad rap. On behalf of dads everywhere, I'm very offended. Fuck you. Wait, 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 wait. You think generally dads are good rappers? I know Eminem, he's in his 40s and he's a dad. And a lot of rappers have kids. But Mm -hmm. I'm not saying the dadness makes them a great rapper, Al. Oh, okay. Well, that might very well be true. But um, the thing that you were sort of alluding to earlier, what Bullworth does say is that us Democrats don't need to show up and do nice things for the black community because you're just going to vote for us anyway because who are you going to vote for? The Republican? There's no way. And I think that honestly has stood the test of time that in general, the Democratic quote-unquote establishment takes black voters for granted and doesn't always deliver and then gets really mad when they don't show up. Black turnout was low in 2016 and then the finger started pointing. It's your fault that Trump got elected. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Don't blame black people. You didn't deliver on promises and they sat at home. So that's a problem with the Democratic Party, which I think is what Warren Beatty is trying to say with the movie. I just think his execution is pretty fucking off. I think Republicans do the exact same thing because every once in a while there's a there's a Nikki Haley and there's a, you know Mitt Romney's that kind of go against the the grade. But yeah, maybe they get primaried. But if they successfully get past their primary, it's basically what are you gonna vote for a Democrat? You know. And I think that's what he's saying. I think he's just being honest. I I think he's basically looking at uh, from his interpretation of honesty. I think he's looking at a black church in 1996 and going. You guys aren't voting for Bob Dole. And again, he's also right that the Democrats aren't going to do anything for you, but you're still going to vote for us. And I think that's just a politician saying the things that are all the politicians know, but you're not supposed to say out loud. And he did. Also, a thing that you're not supposed to say is when Bullworth goes to a room full of Hollywood executives and says, I always go where all the Jews are because that's where the money is. 
that is also super cringy and like just sounds awful and fuck you. I, I mean, I'll say as a Jew, uh, you know, the, the, these politicians, they often will meet with the head rabbis in these, uh, you know, some of the ultra orthodox communities because, you know, you get that guy's endorsement. That's a huge swing because he's going to tell his congregation one way to vote. That is something that happens. Do politicians say necessarily, I go to the Jews? No, because they're also doing the same thing with the head of the Mormon church in, in Salt Lake City. And they're doing the same thing with, yeah, even you get the head of the Amish church. You get a bunch of people that'll vote for you in uh, you know Pennsylvania and Ohio. But he's not talking to rabbis. He's talking with Hollywood people. He's talking with executives in entertainment who therefore must be Jewish, who therefore must have a lot of money. It's like, you know, a couple of stereotypes all in one. Oh, yeah. There's going to be wealthy Indian Americans. There's going to be wealthy everything. You just don't say it. And yes, they are going to go to a community that is specifically Indian American wealthy and Chinese American wealthy. And your campaign manager is going to say, yes, you're going to be meeting a, a priest here. And you're going to be, I want you to make sure to say this and don't say this. And it's just, you don't say that out loud. And I think that's what's kind of fascinating about this character, that he says, you know, the quiet parts out loud. Which leads me to ask you, is there any current politician that you were thinking of as someone similar to Bullworth? Um, no, uh, you're not going like with a George Santos kind of thing, are you? Oh, no, <laughs> that was not at all what I was thinking. You can Google it if you want. There are plenty of articles and think pieces out there about how this movie predicted the rise of Trump. Because Trump was a guy who told it like it is, and that's what the American people were thirsting for. You know, the, the text on screen at the beginning, the populace is unaroused. And I kind of think that's bullshit because, yes, Trump is very blunt and says things that most politicians do not say, like Bullworth. There's also the part where Bullworth is talking about, as a politician, he can get all the pussy he wants. That made me think of Trump but no, I do not think Bullworth is particularly Trumpian because Bullworth is speaking the truth. Trump is a serial liar. Also, when Trump was talking about the problems in politics, he was saying the problem is them. And Bullworth is saying the problem in politics is me. It's us. He's sort of doing the Taylor Swift thing. It's me. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. I would say he's more Bernie Sanders-like in that regard, where he's talking about the problems with the institution as a whole, and he is part of this broken system. And I'm not saying that Bullworth is exactly like Bernie Sanders, because I do not think that's true either. I just kind of cringed when I saw some of those articles that were like, Trump is a modern-day Bullworth. I was like, what? No, that is just very, very wrong. Um, The assassination plot, I was surprised at how long that goes throughout this movie. I kind of was expecting at the beginning that it was just going to be like an unimportant thing, but it really just drives the whole film when it is revealed that Nina, Halle Berry's character, is the assassin and that's why she's there. I thought that was really, really clever. 
I was expecting more of like the standard white savior kind of formula where the only purpose of her character was going to be to teach Bullworth that black people are good and you shouldn't be racist and blah, 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 blah. And then when she's involved in the assassination plot, I was like, that's brilliant. I didn't see that coming at all. Like, I thought that was a really, really good twist. Except then they do nothing with it, and then she decides, no, I won't assassinate you, and I will be your love interest, despite the fact that I'm half your age and we've known each other for, I don't know, 10, 12 hours, half of which you were stoned and passed out. So I I thought that there was something interesting there that they just kind of blew it. Um, I just didn't really like the assassination subplot. I like the guy who had a nervous breakdown and he doesn't need to be looking around for this uh, for this possible assassin in the in the uh, distance. I totally agree with that. But James, let me ask you: Do you think that Bullworth as a whole stands the test of time? You know, when you have a stance you want to make, uh, you want to make a movie about how right wingers are silly, so stupid. I don't like right wingers, so you make Bob Roberts, which is. I'm going to be the right winger. I'm actually going to be very uh, articulate to it for. But the audience is going to have the subtle clue that I'm actually mocking this. And Warren Beatty has a, a very different way of doing this. It's interesting. His rapping and, you know, it's the mid-90s. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of talk of this gangster rap and uh, all that stuff's coming out. I think it's quite clever. And something that uh, you were really getting at that I, I do have to d- disagree with, I've hinted at it, I don't think that this movie really is against uh, black people or Jewish people. I think this guy is just saying honest things about politicians. I don't think he's saying anything about, I wouldn't come help you because the color of your skin is too dark, that we don't care about you people. I think it's the exact same speech he'd make to a room full of people in Kansas, uh, if he was a Kansas senator, to a room full of people in Kansas when they say, hey man, uh, we, we had all these tornadoes that destroyed our church and you came here and you had all the pictures and you promised us we were going to be rebuilt. You didn't do anything. And he'd go, because, you know, the oil guys and the, the corn guys, they give me all the money. I don't really care about you guys. You know, they, they could easily fix this guy's barn, but they don't. And uh, it's if he contributed money, they would. And everyone knows this, but uh, this guy's saying it. I, I really don't think he's doing really anything against black people. I mean, he is saying bad things to black people, but not because they're black. I think just because politicians are assholes. I think the, the same thing with the Jewish thing. Like I said before, I think it's it's a horrible thing to say, but I think the same way, like, oh, why are you in this room full of, uh, you know, 16 different ethnicities behind you? And someone said, oh, that was because of the photo op so that I could have a picture with me with 16 different ethnicities. I also disagree that it's necessarily a, a white savior film. I don't think he really does any saving. That, that's the thing. You know, it's it's not uh, only the white man can save the black people here. Uh, you know, because at the end, he, 
he opens people's eyes to that there could be a senator that could listen to them. More so, I think the black people in the film educate him because you alluded to uh, Halle Berry's character. She has a whole answer for what's wrong with, uh, you know, why aren't black people, uh, why are they being held back in the country? And he does word for word her rap uh, later on. And he says, you're keeping us down in this class. And it's exactly what Halle Berry said. So I think he's learning too. Don Cheadle too. He, he does something very similar. Like Don Cheadle's character gives him this knowledge and then he repeats it later in the interview. That is still a staple of white savior movies though. That's true. Um, uh, that, that, you know, he's, uh, you know, I can use the black terms here and, you know, or in this case, the, the black knowledge. Right. Um, I get it, but I, I didn't really see it that way. I saw it as a guy that's probably never once set foot in any of these places. Bullworth, I think, had one of the greatest nights of his life partying. Yeah, he had some weed and he had some alcohol. But like, I think before he had any of that stuff, he was really, really letting go because this guy was so sad and so depressed and suicidal. I actually think that it's a clever film in that regard. The part I don't like and I remember not liking is I really don't like the assassination plot that this whole film is wrapped in. You could have gotten rid of it and you just open up the film, the exact same thing. A, a man crying in the side of a room. And then later at a church speech, he's reading the first lines of a dry prepared speech and then just goes, you know what? Fuck it. Here's the reason why we don't go to your church because we don't care, blah, 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 blah. And then at the end, for whatever, maybe he has a heart attack. Maybe someone kills him randomly. Who cares? But uh, I, I didn't like that. It could have been disastrous, which is what I think you might have interpreted as disastrous. I think it just toes the line of not being disastrous because of a couple things that are in here. So for me, yeah, Bulworth does stand the test of time. Not an entertaining movie, though. I haven't seen it in 25 years. I don't think I need to see it for another 25. It's clever. It's not as clever as it could be, but I was okay with it. What do you think, Al? Does uh, Bulworth stand the test of time? No, I do not think it does. I really found this movie difficult to watch, because of a lot of the white savior stuff. You know what? I think you have a good point about like how maybe it's not a white savior movie because he doesn't really save anyone. But the message to the audience is that, hey, black people are okay and we should like them, guys. <laughs> that really feels fucking condescending. And like, I'm not saying that I disagree with it. Yes, I do think that everyone should get along. And I think that white politicians should do a better job for black communities because duh. But this movie just feels really, really fucking condescending. It feels like a lecture. It feels like someone's wagging their finger at me, like Warren Beatty knows the solution to racism, which, by the way, he thinks he does. In the movie, Bullworth talks about the solution to racism being miscegenation. What everyone needs to do is fuck. We need to get rid of all of the races by having everybody have sex with each other, and that way there won't be any races, and therefore there will be no racism. And that sounds really nice in a John Lennon imagine kind of a way. But that's fucking bullshit. It's fucking bullshit for Warren Beatty, the actor, writer, director, and it's fucking bullshit for Senator Bullworth, the fictional character. If you're a senator, 
in California or a senator in any state, really, and you want to do something to address racism, what are you going to do? Affirmative action? Addressing criminal justice? Decriminalizing marijuana? Reparations? All of those things are fraught, are controversial. They are hard. You have a long road ahead of you if you want to do any of those things. You know what's easy, Al? Fucking. Right! It Doesn't that sound like a way more fun solution? Also, you can look back at the history in this country about how white slave owners used to rape their slaves. And there was this rule where the status of any child of a slave was inherited by the mother. So if the white man wanted to fuck his black slave, he could do that. He probably would have a good time having sex. And then also he gets another free slave out of it. So like this idea of fucking being the solution to every problem, it doesn't work. Also, that's to say nothing of, like, the intense racism around black men dating white women and how racists get really fucking pissed off and angry about that. That is still a thing. I won't name the company, but somewhat recently I was working on a marketing campaign for a very large company and... In a piece of advertising, we had a black man proposing to a white woman, and we got the note, no, no, you can't show that. That will upset a lot of people. If it was the other way around, a black woman with a white man, sure, but you can't have a black man with a white woman. Very recently, a major company said that. Well, I thought you were going to say, no, 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 it should be a same uh, color couple. And I'm like, really? You know, today they would say that I think it's fascinating that this dynamic of uh, black man with white woman is bad, but uh, black woman with white man is okay. Yeah, I mean, like Emmett Till was was brutally murdered because he was accused of whistling at a white woman. So this idea of everyone fucking is fucking bullshit. But also, that's not just a thing in the movie. I read today that Warren Beatty, while doing press for this movie, while doing interviews and talk shows and all that, he was saying, yeah, this is the solution to racism. Warren Beatty really felt that in real life. And that's fucking icky. That's really fucking creepy. And hey, it works out great for Warren Beatty because he directed this movie and he gets to make out with Halle Berry. Hey, that's a win for him, right? Who wouldn't want to make out with Halle Berry at work? But it really makes my skin crawl. It makes me feel dirty. It makes me feel dirty even just talking about some of this stuff. I hate it. I do not think it stands the test of time. I think that there are some elements of the political landscape that were true in the mid-90s that are still true today. But overall, as a whole, no, I do not think this movie stands the test of time. You know, I I agree with a lot of what you said. Um, I just thought that it was just interesting of a character. I don't think the movie's that great, though. I wish the movie was more interesting. We didn't talk about it at all. Sean Astin is in this movie. He is completely wasted. They do nothing with him. He has like two lines of dialogue. Nothing. They do nothing with him. There is one scene that I thought was fantastic, and it's the side characters of uh, Oliver Platt and Joshua Molina. Oliver Platt is like, Ballworth is fucking up, and he's doing all this crazy stuff, and he keeps taking bumps of cocaine. Yes. And Joshua Molina, his, his character, you could tell he probably has done cocaine in the past. And he's looking at it like, 
Oh, my sweet, I gave you up, but no, I shouldn't. Maybe one little taste, and you can tell this whole thing, he's doing it all silently. Joshua Molina is a great actor. That that was funny. Those actors do a fine job in, in the movie. I don't think anyone does a really bad job acting, except maybe Warren Beatty. Also, I love Halle Berry. She's great. When she's dancing with Bullworth, she's like flicking her tongue. It's almost like she looks like a lizard. I thought that was fucking gross. I thought that was really weird, which sounds weird because I feel like I would have said Halle Berry can do anything and it would be sexy. But flicking her tongue out like that in and out, I I don't know. I just thought that was weird. Um, at the time in the movie, I believe her character is trying to seduce him to get him to bring her to his hotel room. I mean, sure, but there's sexier things you could do than try to look like an iguana? Yeah, I mean, she's Halle Berry. She could just dance and she could be fine. She doesn't have to do any of that other stuff. Exactly. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we're doing another Mother's Day episode. Our moms are going to come back on the show. Rochelle Brief and Carol Abramson are going to join us to talk about Babe. They wanted to do a movie about a talking pig, and we said yes because they're our moms, you know? You can't say no to mom on Mother's Day. We'll talk about that with our moms next week. Yes, I'm looking forward to that. That'll be a good time. As always, we want to hear from you guys. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Let us know your thoughts on Bullworth, on Warren Beatty, on Democrats, on Republicans, and eh, maybe don't. I don't know. Maybe we don't want to have that happen on Twitter. That could get awkward pretty quick. Uh, but we, we love hearing from you guys, and we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye.